The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, right now on Fast, the countdown is on for the next read on inflation. It's the PPI. How will this number impact the Fed and the mood of the market? Plus, the Boeing bounce. The aerospace giant soaring so far in the fourth quarter up nearly 50%. So can the stock keep flying higher? And the Tesla tumble. Shares continuing to lose their charge, now down over 40% in just the last three months alone. Where is the catalyst to stop that slide? And then later on in the show, a casino stock that's just hit the jackpot as of late. That mystery chart, the name, the surge, and what one of our traders is doing with that stock right now. I'm Dominic Hsu in for Melissa Lee on The Big Show tonight. This is Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk, we've got Tim Seymour. Also, Courtney, we got Dan Nathan, we got Guy Dami. Courtney Garcia, you get to stand right in here next to me. This is going to be a great show. We're going to start with the countdown to the November producer price index report. One of the last few inflation readings we'll get before the Fed's final rate meeting of the year. Input costs expected to have moderated just slightly last month, rising still 7.2% from a year ago versus 8% last month. I guess that's an improvement. Now, one big contributor to that decline is falling energy prices, as you see there. We have gasoline, wholesale gasoline prices, as measured by RBOB or RBOB, as they call it, at the same level it was a year ago. Stocks rising ahead of that report. The Nasdaq leading the gains up over a percent in trading today. The S&P 500, by the way, breaking a five-day losing streak. And the Dow gaining more than 180 points. But can the upside momentum continue after tomorrow's data on inflation? I got a great desk here with me. Uh, I, I, envy Melissa. I envy Melissa every day I see her here because she gets to hang out with you guys. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel a lot of love Are here you today. trying to get early Christmas presents I here, am, man? I'm, I'm oh, just man. trying to say, Melissa, I'm very jealous of you every night. I get to hang out with these guys. So maybe, Tim, we'll start with you. It is a market that saw a bounce, but it was five days of losses before that. Is this a good sign ahead well, of PPI? It, it was five days of losses, although, again, I'll look at the semiconductors, which are down you know, 1% only from that almost 30-plus percent move off of that CPI October 13 intraday low. And I, I refer to that going into tomorrow's PPI because we really do have a lot of relief across goods, uh, maybe not services, and, and the entire commodity complex. Lumber prices are below where they were pre, uh, uh, before COVID. You have cotton prices, which are up about 10%. You've got wheat prices which are pretty much in line with where we were before we went into Ukraine. And, and so the dynamics around some of the feed inputs into inflation, really, I think, on the PPI side are better. I actually think that tomorrow's PPI number can be another catalyst for markets here. I think we've had a day to digest uh, you know, the dynamics. We've had a few days to digest a very significant market move. But uh, I, I, it's not me saying it's, it's full scale into year end, but it is telling me that I do think we have a place where markets can uh, get some relief out of this. Inflation is much better. So, Courtney, if you look at the way things have 
set up. I mean, you, you mentioned Tim does the semiconductor trade. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty range bound, let's be honest, and it has been a downside move over the course of the last year. Are there places, though, that you're seeing some of those tea leaves, canaries in coal mines, so to speak, about whether or not there could be this continuation? I mean, this is a seasonably strong time of the market. Why isn't it going higher, markedly so? Well, we already did have such a run up, right? So yes, the market's been down the last five days, but right before that, I mean, we have had such a run since about mid-October. So I think it's normal to see somewhat of a pullback, but it really has been so dependent on inflation this year. And I think it's gonna continue to be dependent on inflation. I do agree. I think PPI will likely come in light here. We're seeing lumber prices are below what they were in 2020. Um, gas prices are now below what they were last year. I mean, things are coming down pretty significantly, and that's really going to lead into the markets here. And I do think you want to make sure you have your best foot forward. We're also looking at a time that bearishness is still really low right now, which does, I think, lead to over-pessimism in the markets. And I think, if anything, leads to a better year-end rally potential here than anything else. Guy. Yes, sir. If we look at the way things are shaping up, I mean, there are people who are altering their holiday shopping plans. So says the CNBC All-America survey. People are spending less. Inflation's a problem. The consumer, though, is still relatively healthy. It's confusing. But this is a time when the American consumer is front and center. Is it enough, though, positivity-wise, to get us out of this funk that we're in for the, the market? market holds here. I mean, to me, it's always been an overlay of the S&P 500s, an overlay of consumer sentiment, whether that's justified or not. People feel okay as long as the market's not breaking down. And obviously, to Courtney's point, recently the market has rallied. But to state that the health of the consumer is somehow robust, I would push back and say, hey, consumer debt in this country is now north of $5 trillion. That's a number we've never seen before. 20% of that now credit card debt north of a trillion dollars, which is no good. Now, the U.S. consumer will always spend. I never question their want to spend. Should they be spending? That's the question. And if the market were to take another leg lower on potentially a hotter-than-expected PPI, which I think nobody's really expecting, then I think people say, wait a second, into Christmas, maybe things aren't as good as I thought. Yeah, as it relates to the rally, the rally though, like, just think about what's happened here. We've seen a big rotation, right? So we saw a rotation. Like, look at how much the S&P outperformed the NASDAQ since mid-October, and it's pretty substantial. And you think about this, Mike Wilson um, at Morgan Stanley had a comment today about he thinks value stocks. Now, he had this tactical rally from mid-October. He thought we'd see a 15% rally. We got that. Now he's saying that he thinks value is actually um, a pocket of risk. And what is that that's energies that's financials that's industrials and so we've seen a crowding in that and if you think that we're going to have some sort of recessionary environment and maybe that's exactly what some of these numbers some of these inflationary numbers some of these readings about uh, industrial commodities and, and, and the like are saying to us then you got to be careful here because the rotations have been fairly aggressive it's one of the reasons we have these bear market rallies over the course of this year some between you know 15 and, and nearly 20 percent and so to me i think the higher we go and in into the end of the year i don't think we're going to go much higher to be very honest with you um, is the lower we go early in January and February next well, year. Yeah, okay, so, so one of the things that we, we've been keying on, and you can debate whether or not the yield curve is as much of a recession indicator as, as it has been in the past, but just in the last two days, we saw a yield curve inversion, short-term rates higher than long-term rates, 210 spreads of minus 83 basis points. You've got to go all the way back to 1981 in the Volcker days, when that, and that was bad back then, right? We're showing you the chart right now. It's still at 80, just about 83 basis points. If you would look at the way that interest rates are reacting right now, it certainly doesn't show that things are very robust in the marketplace right now. Oh, so if, if you look at that, and that's one of the reasons why the bank stocks, by the way, have been performing as poorly as they have been. Just look at Bank of America or J.P. Morgan. So, Courtney, I'll turn to you. The bank stocks, are they a leading indicator of what's going to happen with the economy? 
Well, I think the banks, obviously, you are seeing a pretty severe recession getting priced in when you look at banks specifically. But I do think you're seeing, like, if you look at 08 and 09, your banks were a lot of the issue there, right? And I think their balance sheets are so much stronger now, and they are going to benefit, actually, from interest rates being higher next year. So I think a lot of this is actually probably being a little bit oversold in your banks. But there is definitely a fear of a recession right now, and it's all going to come down to is inflation coming down or not? Is the Fed going to lower interest rates? So at this point, they are expected probably only 50 basis points next month. But if they keep with those low rates going forward into a higher rate, that's what the markets are worried about. And so we're really going to have to see what those, that data comes through for the rest of the month here. You know, Tim, those, those traders and investors who decided to buy when the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield is at four and a quarter to four and a third percent by the, by are looking tenure? pretty yeah, they're fired up. good right now. Yeah, right? they're fired up. And, and I, I think there's a limit to how low we can go on the 10-year. And I, I recognize what the yield curve is doing. Uh, and I am not... Uh, terribly bullish going into next year either. In fact, I think the, the S&P earnings are, are finally going to find themselves at, at downgrades that are going to maybe get it closer to 200, maybe possibly south of that. We're starting to get some of those numbers in from the street. And that math tells you where the S&P, I believe, has to go. We, like, everything we got out of the third quarter, especially as we heard from discretionary, and we even heard this from Lulu, we, we've heard this from some of the other apparel folks and people that we expected to show some weakness, things were a lot better in the third quarter. I don't think things deteriorate. That's why I just, I believe we have so many different phases to where this market has to go. So far, this has been a Fed, and this has been you know, essentially a, an interest rate dynamic downgrade in terms of the market. We haven't really even gotten into earnings revisions, complete downgrades. We haven't gotten into a credit cycle. We haven't gotten into a liquidity cycle. So I just think it's the market we have. I, I think positioning right now is still very light. Um, I don't think we're going to go crazy into year-end either, Dan. I think you got a, a dynamic here where um, I think the, the, the inflation story is something that you can build upon. All right, so let's bring another voice into this, because two years after he first flagged inflation's big generational comeback, Market forecaster Jim Bianco sees price relief ahead, but he warns that Wall Street may still see a world of hurt, a world of pain next year. So Jim joins us now. He runs Bianco Research. He's a guy that a lot of folks see and listen to on Wall Street. Jim, thanks very much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Money. So I wonder, maybe I'll just open end question to you to start. This inflation narrative, is it over? It depends on what you mean by over. Has inflation peaked? Yes, it's probably peaked at 9.1% in the spring, and it's coming down. Now, I know that's enough. Everybody's going to run and say that's it, bye. But the real question is not is it coming down, is how far down is it going to go? And I'm afraid that it might bottom out at around 4%. And the Fed has already said that they think neutral on interest rates is about a half a percent above the inflation rate. If it does, that means we've only just got back to neutral. And Jay Powell said that he wants to eventually get to restrictive. Now, if it goes all the way to 2%, then we are restrictive and there can be some kind of a pivot. So, yes, it's peaked, but that's not the real question. The real question is how much further down does it have to go? So, so Jim, w- with that in mind, then, if it's, if it's a matter of how high it stays relative to where it was, right, a year, two, three, four years ago, if it remains elevated at those levels, is there a way out? What needs to happen elsewhere in the economy to offset the effect of inflation staying at relatively high levels that we've seen over the course of the last, say, five years? Well, what we're arguing here is that inflation, there's been some kind of a secular shift, that the, the era of 2% inflation is over. And I've termed it the era of cheap labor, cheap goods, and cheap energy is behind us. So we're going to have to restructure the economy in some way in order to return to, you know, cheap labor, cheap goods, and cheap energy again. Restructuring the economy is more of a value cyclical kind of play, 
but it requires a lot of money and it requires a lot of time to do it. You don't restructure the economy in a short period of time. Look at the supply chain. We've been talking about the supply chain being fixed and we're nearly three years after the uh, pandemic hit and it's still not all the way back. And that came back at lightning speed. So to restructure the economy is gonna take even longer. Jim, this is Courtney here and just had a question for you where it does see, sound like you see inflation coming down, which I think is a great sign. But you also noted that you see PPI coming in hotter than expected tomorrow. And I'm curious why you see that and kind of what you see the market reaction to that. The market right now is fixated on gas prices. That's what it seems to be focused on in terms of uh, how it forecasts uh, PPI and CPI and gas prices have come down. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, of the last 20 months in inflation numbers, only four of them has been below expectation. So even if you just did no analysis and just said it's going to be above expectations, you've been right 75% of the time for the last two years. So there is this structural bias in the market to look at the data and then shade it lower and hope lower, and then you add in falling gas prices. And that's why I think that there might be an upside beat uh, to, for tomorrow. But you know that's one number and that's one guess on one number. All right, Jim Bianco. Thank you very much for the thoughts there for the guy that originally kind of really called the kickoff to this inflation narrative. We appreciate it. We'll see you soon, Jim. Thank All right, you. guys, let's let's trade this here. If we take a look at this guy, I mean, Jim made a point that he thinks that the inflation read for tomorrow, business level inflation comes in slightly hotter than expected. That eventually does kind of flow through to consumer prices. Mm-hmm. But how worried should we be? Well, if it comes in hotter than expected, given what we traded up to, we traded right to the downtrend line that we put in in November of last year right up to the 200-day moving average, about a 14.5% rally from October 14th into that level. A hotter number is going to take us right back down to 3,800 probably. So if that's the only lens you want to look through, you should be worried if it comes in hotter. I think it may, um, but I could be wrong. Tim thinks it's going to be softer. We'll see. I'll say this, though, to Jim's point. We might get to 4%. I don't see that in in the near future. It ain't going to get down to 2% for quite some time, and that's their mandate, and it ain't going to happen. What do you think, Dan? Um, yeah, I, listen, we're going to obsess over every one of these numbers, you know, and every the first Friday of every month, we're going to have this jobs number. We're going to pray for it to actually go up. Isn't that kind of absurd in a way, right? Because that's the thing that might relieve the market and might kind of cause the Fed to take their foot off the pedal. I'll just say this. I mean, you know, if you were dying, like everybody wanted oil to go lower. It just closed at a 52-week low today on a day where there was, what, positive rumblings out of China about what they're doing with zero COVID. And that was the thing that's going to kind of reignite the global economy at a time where Europe is in a recessionary environment. Our economy, it looks like we're kind of sputtering a little bit. It just doesn't feel like the sort of indicators that you'd be hoping for or the reaction to the news that you might expect is, is happening. And so, again, you know, I'll just say this. is like the stock market down 17% or whatever the S&P is down right now. It just doesn't encapsulate what we've been through. Go back to kind of 2008. You know, there was one year where the stock market was down in the, in the middle of the throes of this financial crisis. It was down nearly 40% or so. And you're just telling me of all the fiscal and monetary thrown into this, all these bizarre issues with supply chains and the geopolitical stuff and the macro stuff. It's just like, that's it. That's not it, people. I mean, like, so whatever we do between here and the end of this year, there's a reckoning coming at, at some point next year. I don't mean a crash or anything like that, but there is not enough fear in this market. I think one of you guys said this, the VIX at 22 yeah. right here, given everything we know. I actually think if we didn't have the VIX at 20, if the VIX was at 28 or 29, I think you really had room for a rally. And again, remember where we were on the VIX. I keep bringing up this October 13th CP 
CPI because it was such an extraordinary day. We had a really, really hot CPI number. It looked like this was the time for the market to cave through the bottom. And in fact, that was the, that was essentially the time when we actually priced in maybe peak inflation. And as Jim talked about, maybe maybe that's where we are. But I, I just think there are opportunities in this market. And that's really where we are. We're going to have these ranges. And, and I agree with these guys. It's really tough to see where we can get much higher. Um, but I just believe that the, the core inputs here, if you look at where the pressure on the Fed, it's certainly lightening up. And I think look, we have a little bit of a window. Of course, we have the Fed next week. We have CPI on Tuesday, which is a much more important number. I think we have to get through those events, and then I think we have some room. All right. So let's now turn to the latest here on the FTC suing Microsoft over its deal with Activision. Now, those stocks not seeing as big of a reaction as you might expect with a large regulatory hurdle. Our Steve Kovac has more on the story and perhaps the reason why those stocks aren't moving as much on the FTC looking to maybe sue to block this deal. Yeah, Don, this is a really uh, thick and uh, difficult story to unpack here, so let's do our best. FTC is suing the deal, but the reason behind that lawsuit, it lays out a history of Microsoft's gaming acquisitions and using those to put exclusive titles on its platform, such as its $7.5 billion acquisition of game studio ZeniMax. Titles from that studio are going to be exclusive to Microsoft platforms, and now the fear from the FTC is the same will happen if Microsoft is allowed to buy Activision. But the issue here is really Call of Duty, a multi-billion dollar franchise from Activision. Rivals like Sony have already complained Microsoft will take it away from its rivals too. But Microsoft has an answer for that. They've offered to put Call of Duty on rival platforms for 10 years and even said they're willing to make that contract enforceable by the courts. Now, Sony hasn't responded to this, but yesterday Nintendo agreed to Microsoft's 10-year Call of Duty offer. Meanwhile, Activision CEO Bobby Kotick firing back at the FTC in a letter to employees saying, quote, we believe these arguments will win despite a regulatory environment focused on ideology and misconceptions about the tech industry. And Microsoft President Brad Smith making it clear the company is going to fight this in court, saying in a statement uh, to, quote, give peace a chance and offering concessions to the FTC. Meanwhile, the big questions now, what additional concessions did Microsoft float by the FTC besides that 10-year Call of Duty deal? Would they be willing to extend that even longer or indefinitely? But for now, it sounds like no more peace. Microsoft is ready for war, Dom. All right, Steve Kovac, thank you very much for that. Microsoft is ready for war, says Steve Kovac. Now, there might be a reason why Microsoft is ready for war. Because the track record from the Federal Trade Commission as of late, when it goes after some of these mergers, has not been good. They haven't really succeeded that much. So maybe I'll open this up to Guy first. Yeah. And maybe why the muted reaction on the these biggest FTC gamer on the desk. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I, I am the biggest gamer. So you are a gamer, gamer, period. Because Follow him on Twitch. What he does. I mean, he yeah, is I'm, great I'm on, on Twitch. You know, so you say that in jest. I'm on the You're Twitch. You're no way. I'm on Twitch. Because if the fates of Microsoft rely upon this Activision, then we're all in a bad. I mean, this is, to me, this is a rounding error, from, in my opinion. For Microsoft. So I don't think that's why you're seeing a stock reaction one way or another. Get the deal, not get the deal. I don't think it's necessarily moving the needle. What does move the needle is the fact the stock's down 30 percent 
from its all-time high that we made this time last year. And when nobody cared about valuation a year ago, people are starting to care now. And at 23 times-ish next year's numbers, Microsoft is still an expensive stock. In this Dan, market. what do you think? I mean, is this a deal that, that, that we fear that, so that may not happen? Let's talk about this. Right, so we started this year off, and Microsoft made this blockbuster $70 billion. And it, it is, it's actually a lot more than a rounding error guy. I mean, when you think about it, like what their net cash position and everything like that, I mean, this is a big deal. And so think about what the NASDAQ is down 28%, and they bought this company or they made a deal to buy this company for that price in January. I would think, when I saw that headline, I'm like, ah, maybe they want it out. Like, maybe this is like a good deal for them. But if you look at some of their competitors, you look at EA, which is a smaller market cap company, I mean, it's down 5% of the years. These gamers have actually held because up they got, pretty they got well. they got their kicked a couple years ago. I, I just don't think that this is a deal that the FTC can go after. I mean, I think Microsoft is third in console gaming. They, they're, they're distant to Nintendo, to PlayStation, and I just, you know, they, they actually need to have other games onto their platform. That's why they're making this acquisition. They want this cloud service where people have to subscribe, and I think they kind of need to be in the space. So, I agree. I don't think this really it's not a reason to buy or sell Microsoft. It's a reason to pay, possibly explore in the options market what do you want to do with ATVI, which I, I don't think you do anything. All right, a lot of risk managing going on right now. All right, thanks very much, guys. Coming up on the show, we're all over the after hours action right now in Lululemon shares, by the way, and RH moving in opposite directions. Lulu down 7% right now. The latest results are on tap for you guys. We'll bring you the details of what happened coming up next. And it's wheels up for Boeing. Those shares gaining altitude. Yes, oh, I did. I went, there. I went there. I know. Really? On some positive analyst calls out there. The plain particulars oh, that had on, them man. so bullish come on. when Fast Money returns. Listen, I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm told yeah. right now. We're back in two. You do it well. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on a pair of retail stocks. Lululemon shares are tumbling despite topping analyst estimates. Those shares down 6% right now. Earnings per share coming in three cents higher than expected. Revenues hitting $1.86 billion, also beating estimates. But the company issued lower guidance for the current quarter. The current quarter is the all-important holiday shopping season quarter. Melissa Repco has been sifting through both reports for Lulu and for RH. What's standing out to you, Melissa? 
Hey, Dom. So as you mentioned, it was a beat on the top and bottom line for Lulu, and its same store sales were actually up 22 percent year over year. The CEO also spoke about a strong start to the holidays, calling out Black Friday as the strongest in its history in terms of both traffic and in sales. So it's surprising then that the company was on the weaker than expected end of Q4 in terms of the forecast. And that's really where we're seeing the stock movement. And it begs the question of whether the company is being more conservative or perhaps is it more nervous going into January, which is the last month of the quarter. All Back right. to you. Thank you very much, Melissa Repko, for the update there on Lululemon. Again, those shares down 6% right now. Let's trade it, guys. Courtney, I'll start with you. A hot name during the pandemic, mm-hmm. kind of lost a little bit of steam, but it saw, saw some momentum. I don't know how many guys own those pants around this guy. I was in or... Lulu below the deck last night. Right? Yeah, yeah, below yeah. deck. deck. I, don't, I mean, deck. Joe Kernan yeah. apparently wears the pants. ABC's. It's a man his age. That's what they do. But, you know, I'm the undergarments guy. I want, I want to hear. So Courtney's take on this. Are you a buyer or seller given what you've seen from Lulu here? You know, I actually would buy on some of the weakness you're seeing here. And yes, this, this is probably all I wear when I'm not here on set as I am wearing my Lululemus normally. Um, but no, I do think when you look at them, they're a company that has a really uh, loyal f- customers. Um, they also have pricing power. And we look at their balance sheet, they have almost $500 million in cash and really no debt currently. And that's the kind of company that you want right now is pricing power, strong cash flow, especially in an inflationary re- environment. I would say the only knock I would give them is they are pretty expensive, however, not compared to themselves. So I do think it might be worth a look here. All right. Let's stay in the retail space here. We've got another name coming out there, Restoration Hardware. I should say RH, formerly known as Restoration Hardware. Beating estimates after reporting Q3 results after the bell. Shares of the company staying in the green for now. Right now on the news, we've got more details from Kate Rooney, who's got that story. Hi, Kate. Hey, Don. That's right. RH with a pretty comfortable beat here. For the third quarter on uh, revenue and EPS, the call just kicking off. And despite that beat, Gary Friedman, the CEO, with a pretty cautious outlook, he says the environment for the luxury retailer will continue to be challenging due to the ongoing housing market struggles. He kicked off the call saying we, quote, expect our business trends will continue to deteriorate as a result of accelerating weakness in that housing market over the next several quarters and possibly longer due to the Federal Reserve's anticipated monetary policy and the cycling of record COVID-driven sales and backlog reductions. Despite that cautious tone, RH saw that strong uh, Q3. It helped the company raise the low end of its full-year revenue guidance, also raised its full-year operating margin guidance. Saw operating margins in the third quarter about 20%, 20 20.8%, also announcing a couple strategic acquisitions here. Dimitri & Co., that's a custom upholstery company, also a furniture company called Jupe. And it's hiring the founders of both of those companies. Back to you, Dom. All right, Kate Rooney, the shares up one and a quarter percent right now. Thank you very much. Uh, Tim Seymour, I'll look to you for this one here. RH, they speak of the housing weakness being a headwind. But when I think of RH, a.k.a. Restoration Hardware, I think high end. I don't think it should be as impacted by the housing weakness. Do you believe it? Well, I, I think there's no question that there's a pull forward. And if you look at the guide that they gave, which they, they tightened up the bottom end and actually said it's slightly better, but it's still down three and a half to four and a half next year. I, the, the, the valuation is not demanding. And you heard a little bit about margin and where it's, it's holding the line. And we've heard from this company over the last quarter, even the last two quarters, that they are going to fight against heavy promotional activity. So uh, I actually started buying some RH around 250. And, and I think you can own it here. I think certainly relative what you're saying, the thesis that People will continue to stay in their homes and fix them up. And, yes, RH is a very different clientele than even Pottery Barn and Williams-Sonoma. All right. Thanks very much, guys. There's a lot more to come on the show. Here is what's coming up next. Boeing, Boeing, gone. Shares taking off as analysts board this trade first class. 
Should you buy your ticket or leave this one on the tarmac? Plus, Tesla turmoil. That stock trading near two-year lows. But is there any charge left in this trade? Or should you drive away? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to the big show, Fast Money. Analysts saying Boeing could be first class in a trade heading into the new year. Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and Cowan all out with bullish notes today on the plane maker. Wells in increasing its price target on the stock to a 218 bucks, Citi to $222. Boeing currently trading at just around 180 up nearly 48% so far this quarter. Now, just moments ago, United Airlines saying it'll make a, quote, historic announcement on a Boeing Dreamliner order coming up on Tuesday. So, Courtney, this was something that you brought up on our midday call today, flagging the Boeing trade. It's been a momentum giant for the Dow especially. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I actually, I would look at this as an opportunity here, and I think they have really turned things around. They have free cash flow about $1.4 billion, and that was a large losses last year. And ultimately, this is a duopoly. It's really them and Airbus, and you're going to see as these airlines are continuing to get traffic, and we're seeing that even with inflation, right? It's goods inflation coming down, services is not, because people still want to get out there and travel. They still want to do things. That's going to lead its way down to Boeing as they need to increase their fleet. So I actually would continue to look at this as an opportunity. Dan, I, I mean, for, for Boeing, mm. this is a stock that, that really dragged things down for quite some time. But in the month of November, I think that the stat was the Dow was up around a thousand points roughly here or there. About a quarter of it was just Boeing shares alone. It's been a beast. Is it still worth staying in right now? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I know Tim's been a shareholder for a long time and you've kind of really identified like what the turn of the story should be. And, I, and again, you know, this outperformance we've seen has come with broad market outperformance. But I go back to the comment I made about, you know, kind of value industrials waiting for the turn. You know, if 2023 is going to be the sort of year that maybe airlines, it's kind of interesting that United is bookending that comment today about next week with what they just said yesterday about business fairs and that sort of thing. So to me, I mean, when they get those bookings, they're not booking that revenue anytime soon. I think 2023 could still be a difficult year for an industrial like Boeing. And then if you have this sort of rally like you just talked about off the lows here, how much of that news is in the stock when we get it? Guy. Yes, sir. I mentioned the United Airlines anticipated news about the Dreamliner. Is the Dreamliner important to you more so or less so than, say, the 737 MAX? <laughs> you think about this a lot, too, That's don't you? Yeah. I go to bed yeah. thinking about this Of stuff. course you do. I'm going to be honest with you. I really haven't thought about it at all. I think it's important that Boeing continues to get these orders. I also think it's important that Boeing grows into the valuation that's currently pretty rich here. I mean, they're going to earn $4 a share next year, trading at 45 times. You need that number to be $10, I think, 
to justify the stock price. Now, if you tell me earnings are going to continue to grow at this pace, the stock makes sense. And probably up to 191 or so, it has room. That's where we that's where we basically plateaued in March and then took the next leg lower. So I do think there's room. I also think it might be expensive. Tim, quick last word to you, Boeing. 787 is where they make their money. This is where you're actually seeing international demand. I think the 737 certification is, is not a big deal. This is a free cash flow story. When it was a $350 stock, it was 25 bucks a share in free cash flow. Cowan's note this morning said they think 17 to 20. I think you're getting there. Airlines are recovering. They have to buy planes. All right. That's the trade on Boeing. Uh, coming up on the show, a hot take on Tesla coming up. Shares trading near two-year lows at this point. But our next guest says he's still positive on the EV giant. Those <laughs> details coming up next. And then later on, Lady Luck hitting gaming stock Melco in a big way. The reasons behind that move higher when Fast Money returns. We are back after this. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another check on the markets today. Stocks closing in the green as investors await tomorrow's big PPI inflation data. The Dow jumping more than 180 points. The S&P climbing three quarters of a percent. Also snapping a five-day losing streak. And the tech-heavier Nasdaq leading the gains, climbing more than 1%. Oil, by the way, finishing lower for the day. Crude and world benchmark Brent hitting their lowest levels in nearly a year. And there's more action in the after hours right now. Broadcom jumping after beating estimates for the quarter. The company also resuming its stock buyback and upping its dividend by 12%. Those shares up nearly 3.5% right now. And then DocuSign with a big move. Shares surging, though off its highs of the aftermarket. After earnings and revenues beat expectations, the company also saying sales could come in above expectations for the current quarter. DocuSign shares up 8% right now. Now, Tesla is hitting the brakes as of late. Shares falling this morning on reports it is its Shanghai plant would cut shifts and delay hiring as well. The stock recently clawing back some losses, but over the last three months, it's down 40%. For more, let's bring in Loop Ventures' Gene Munster, a man we'd often turn to for talk on Tesla. I, I think maybe, Gene, we'll start off with a broader question. Has Tesla now fallen by enough to make it attractive? Yes, I think it has. It's not investment advice. Uh, it, it is just my view that this is an opportunity, I think, for the long haul. And, Dom, I would I would kind of paint this uh, or the frame the picture of what's happened here is it's been a vortex around uh, reports today from Bloomberg about production cuts in China, about how much Elon's time is uh, being spent uh, with Twitter, and that's been a distraction. And I think what is being, I think, missed here is what some of the facts are. And this comes to the opportunity here. And I'll start with some of the near term. And I, I'm reluctant to use the word facts because uh, many uh, that is uh, often disputed. But uh, we do know that Tesla is discounting in China and they're discounting in the U.S. And in China, uh, Tesla's uh, deliveries for the month of October, they report this, the China Passenger Car Association reports these numbers. These are hard numbers was up 32%. It was up 90% uh, the numbers that came out today. People looked past it because the other uh, broader headlines was the Bloomberg story. But uh, that compares to the broader numbers in China being down 6% uh, for the month of November. So China, uh, Tesla's gaining share. So, Dom, I think uh, these concerns that we've seen more recently, I think, are are largely overblown. I actually think that the delivery numbers are going to be okay. And Longer term, I think Tesla sets up in a good position relative to other car makers. 
Gene, when you say when you say over the long term that there's a certain amount of patience some investors will have for this to play out, and I would say that there haven't doesn't seem that there's been as much rumbling from the Tesla shareholder base because of the having of market value over the course of 2022. How much time do you think investors will give them for this thesis of of, of, of you know market superiority to play out? Well, you probably uh, lose a quarter of them if they don't deliver on what will be the expectations for the December quarter, because, of course, they had a slight miss in September, and they talked about some logistics that have pushed those deliveries into uh, December. So it's a little bit of a show-me story. So to answer your question is that if I'm wrong and deliveries uh, do show some softness, uh, I think that you're going to see uh, uh, an exodus from uh, at least part of this base. I think uh, you will see people continue to believe in this uh, for the long term because there's just there's other forces in play, like what's going on with uh, China and production. But uh, this would be a, a pretty big negative if they ended up uh, missing. I don't think it's going to happen. And maybe said a different way is, uh, you know, what is it going to take to regain some confidence? I think a December delivery number that shows the total deliveries for the year, uh, 1.4 million or greater, that's the bogey, I think will relieve people considerably and, and get, uh, I think, would be a positive uh, catalyst for the stock. So, Gene, you're talking about fundamentals for the company of Tesla. The stock has obviously been very weak, down 20 percent or so over the last, I don't know, month and change. And, you know, it's really uh, you know underperforming many of its auto peers here. But there's something else going on, right? And so is it also, um, you know, is this shareholders voting on the job that they think Elon Musk is doing? Because he's been very preoccupied with the situation with Twitter. And, you know, the story that I thought was just as important as the production issue in China is that the bankers that gave him the 13 billion dollars nearly in debt to buy Twitter are suggesting that maybe they're going to kind of reformulate that with some margin loans against his Tesla stock. And I really feel like, again, if he were to miss Q4, the fundamentals get worse. If there's a global recession here and the stock continues to go lower and he's pledged over 100 million of his shares, doesn't that create a really difficult scenario if there are margin calls for Tesla shareholders? Absolutely. And the ledger you just printed out or, or listed out there, that's on the, the negative side. And I would kind of come back to if the numbers are good, <laughs> if the delivery numbers are good for the December quarter, um, the, everything that we just talked about there probably doesn't matter as much. And I think it really comes down to that. It's the, the view that Elon is being distracted. These production numbers, I don't know if they've been cut. I, I would uh, Tesla says that it was they refer to it as fake news today. Who knows? But uh, to answer your question is that uh, ultimately all that is anticipation. The substance of this all comes down to are they going to deliver the cars? And if they do that, the stock goes up. If they don't, it goes down. Hey, Gene, it's Tim. I've always been frustrated by everyone looking way far out and I, in terms of Tesla and trying to impute a valuation based upon uh, growth that will be there. I'm, and I'm not being critical of you on that. I, I would like, though, for you to focus on the current macro around the auto sector. I, I'm actually not that worried about China production at all. In fact, I think some of the issues in China, uh, if you look at the SARS numbers, they've come in dramatically. Auto demand is just coming down globally. Um, I worry about the cyclicality of a car company. I think it's a car company. Uh, talk about that. Well, I, I uh, see it different. I think that replacing a, a gas for an electric motor is, is uh, I think it, it does change the equation. And I think what Tesla has shown is that by bringing together hardware and software, it does create um, more value. And that's why I think that they've uh, done done well in the car market and the EV market. So 
Uh, I think the margins that they've delivered have been more tech-like. They're not true tech, but they're better than traditional car companies, and I think that would, would be some evidence that it's more than just a car company. And I agree with you. I've been guilty of, of looking out five years and talking about where Tesla is five years. And just, if I may, um, I think in two years it, it will, um, it will prove to be uh, some upside here. All right. Gene Munster on the Tesla trade. Thanks very much. We appreciate it. Uh, Guy Adami, I'll throw it to you. I mean, you heard the questions. You heard the commentary. Is Tesla a stock that you want to own right now? No, I don't think so. It's not trading well. I mean, it's actually technically doing everything you want to see it do if you're bearish or short the name. I mean, the move down to 167, the subsequent move basically up to 200, failed there, making another run at the lows. Support in this stock is somewhere between 145 and 150. And if the tape rolls over, like I think it may from these levels, I think that's where Tesla is going. Shares are at 173 and change right now in the aftermarket trade. All right, guys, coming up on the show, are you feeling lucky? Our Tim Seymour is. He's been making some moves in the casino space. We'll bring you his trades coming up next. And then later on, the big bank blues. We talked about it earlier. Bank of America seeing red in a big way this week. What's behind the moves and how to trade it? All that when Fast Money returns after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Melco on the move up over 11% today, as you can see there, as authorities in Hong Kong announce a 10-point plan to ease COVID-19 restrictions. Shares are up, by the way, a whopping 80% in just the last month alone. Tim Seymour, you've been making moves here. What have you been doing with Melco? Well, I've been adding to casinos over the last month or so. And the two moments that I think have been critical for both Melco and even LVS and Wynn, and I'm long LVS and have been long LVS for a long time, and I've been waiting for a couple things. The first was on the 25th. The conditional renewal of Macau gaming licenses was a very important moment for a lot of these companies. The second is the whole COVID dynamic. And I, I just, those headlines on COVID, I know they've been frustrating. They've held these stocks back, but that's ultimately been an opportunity to buy all of that weakness. But clearly over the last two weeks, we can see that China has a plan to move forward. Now, with that, we've seen major upgrades in the space. Um, what you're supposed to be doing, I think, in Melco and what I'm doing is starting to sell upside calls in these out to the first quarter. I think you're going to see a little bit of a pullback. You've had over 100% move in Melco. Vegas Sands, I actually think you have more room to run. I think you have more room at least to run as an investor, where uh, the EBITDA multiples of these companies went from uh, high teens to basically single digits, mid-single digits. And I think even at 11 or 12 times L VS is still very attractive. Last word to you, Courtney, here on the casinos. You like them here? Yeah, I mean, it's a China reopening trade, right, which I think just has so many false starts here. But I think you're really starting to see that that is really becoming viable. But it's not yet priced into a lot of these companies. So I think you want to play that. All right. Coming up on the show, is it time to, tr- is it time to fade the financials right now? An options trader is betting big against one big bank. We'll bring you the action coming up next. We've got much more fast back in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bank of America shares falling again today. The stock is now down more than 10% since Monday alone on pace for its worst week since June of 2020. It's now down six days in a row. Dan, you flagged this stock. Yeah. I'm going to jar you up a little bit here. What's going jar on with you? I thought you were going to these guys. I no, was like, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Get jarred, No, I, I, listen, get jarred. It's, it's down 15%. On the month. I mean, so when you think about this, if you look at that chart, I mean, it's gone down, you know, in a straight line here. And I just think that, you know, Dan, uh, Moynihan was speaking earlier in the week at the Goldman Conference. And some of the things that he was saying is starting to say, uh, maybe fall in line with some of the other money center banks that, like, Jamie Dimon's been saying for a while about consumers, about loan growth, about, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. So to me, um, you know, I'd keep an eye on these banks um, because, like, they looked like two weeks ago they were ready to break out, and, and they're not. And so, again, the broader market's having a difficult time. They led to the downside for the first half of the year. I think you want to check them out. 
So, Courtney, yeah. is it? I mean, is the action in the money center banks like B of A, J.P. Morgan, more indicative of what you think that the financial sector is going through, or is it some of these regional banks that have been hit harder in some cases? Yeah, and I think that that is what will tend to happen. Your regional banks are going to get harder. But I think your Bank of America here does look interesting because you're getting this priced in on the, the idea that a recession is going to happen next year is really why you're seeing a lot of the, the downturn right now in Bank of America. But they also are a lot... If we do start to see the yield curve, ste- stir- the yield curve steepening, they are going to benefit from that better than your other banks because of their net interest compared to other banks and compared to their peers. So if and when things turn, they are going to be a beneficiary of that. Is this a financials trade that you like, Guy? What do you think? I don't know. No, I'm the negative one. Yeah, you're, you're the bearish one here, right? Negative. So. Bank of America book value is $29 and change. It should trade at book value. It's still expensive in terms of tangible books. So I think it's just getting to levels where it should be trading. It's reasonable to submit that if Citi trades at the discount that it's trading to, J.P. Morgan traded at the premium. Bank of America is somewhere in the middle. It has not found equilibrium yet, in my opinion. Tim, what do you think? Banks are range-bound. They had outperformed the market, actually, for the last you know, six to eight weeks, and, and that makes sense. You sell first and ask questions later in banks. And I think we're going through one of those periods, but the dividends they pay, the valuations mean, I actually think you have to stay holding some of these banks, the money centers, and it would be Bank of America, and it would be J.P. Morgan. Well, those balance sheets are definitely stronger now than they have been over the last 10 Four to 12 five. years, right? All right, the options market signaling even more pain ahead, though, for Bank of America. Mike Coe joins us now to break down the options action tonight. Mike, what caught your eye? Yeah, so we were looking at Bank of America. That was the 10th busiest single stock option and the busiest amongst financials today. Uh, some of the action that I was taking a look at was the January 32 puts. I saw a block of a thousand of those trade for $1.34. That was part of a series of blocks. Uh, ultimately, about 6,000 of them traded for just over $1.30 a contract. And I think that the buyer of those is either betting on or hedging against a move down to those October lows, uh, probably between now and January expiration. That's about six weeks away. All right. That's my co with the options action here. I, I just want to put out one quick word here. Sure, and maybe sure, if, sure, we, if, we look at, if we look at some of these banks, the JP Morgans and B of A's and Cities are always the ones that we talk about. But oftentimes the opportunities are elsewhere in the market in some of the banks I mentioned with Courtney, with, re- with the regionals. Mm-hmm. Is there a compelling trade right now in some of these financials that are not J.P. Morgan, B of A or Citi? I think interest rate sensitivity and credit concerns on the regionals are, are that much more exposed. And I, if we then got into like buy now, pay later, I think a lot of those are going to zero. So I think the safest place to be right now are the money center banks. All right, Guy, what do you think? U.S. Bank Corp's always been probably one of the best-run banks. So if you think valuation is going to be a concern for some of these others, U.S. Bank Corp's a place you could probably find some safety. All right, and by the way, don't miss Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan on Closing Bell tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC, a must-watch interview there. And for more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow, Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Stick around. Your final trades are coming up next. All right, welcome back. It's time for final trades. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. John, this has been truly punny tonight with you. Emerging <laughs> markets, EEM. I think dollar weakening back below that 200-day. Uh, we talk about some of these gamers in China. EM, you can ride this trade. All right, Courtney Garcia. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but I do like Boeing here. I think they have a tractor-free cash flow free cash flow story. They did just get some upgrades. I think it's worth a play. Dan Nathan. Yeah, on that theme, though, Jets, that's the ETF that tracks the airlines. That'd be a seller of that. I have a bearish position there. And Guy Adami. You know, Courtney's a Padre fan. Courtney, quickly, they're spending a lot of money. Are you happy or not? Binary. You've got to love the Padres. Everybody's got to love the Padres. <laughs> I know none of you agree. <laughs> sounds happy. Not binary. <laughs> Lockheed Martin there. 
<laughs> Back to you, Don. All right. Thanks, guys, for watching Fast Money and for having me here tonight. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.